Good morning. All right, we're going we're to try that again here. Good morning. There we go. Don't worry. It, I, you got to have some participation. You know, I'm, I'm a guy, I like the amens or like a smile. Or, you're, you're, you're good, I promise. We'll get there. <laughs> well, good morning. Who is, uh, who's, who's sick of the pandemic? Yeah, that, that video kind of hit a little close to home, didn't it? Man, um, no, I'm, I'm getting tired of it. I'm getting real, real sick of it. Uh, if I have to have another Zoom meeting, I think I'm going to scream. Um, and I'm a tech geek. I mean, like, I, I preach off a tablet. I, 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 I love my, my, my tech, and I love my, my technology and my gadgets. But I mean, if I have to have another, another Zoom meeting, whoo, I get it. But here's the cool thing. The pandemic, or as my kids have called it recently, the pandemic, um, the pandemic will eventually be over, right? It will be over. That's one thing we know for sure. It will at one point be over. Um, and something I'm excited about personally um, is I really truly believe that Whiting Christian Church is uniquely positioned um, to really move forward from that and spread the love of Jesus like no other. That's one of the reasons I've been so excited to come here. Uh, the community that you guys share, the passion that you have for Jesus, the love you have for one another, the way this community interacts, um, your history in terms of what you do with one another. I think it's churches like this, and I think it's people like you and this community that coming out of this season, oh man, God is going to do so much here. So much. Uh, God and his great power is going to use you in huge ways. Use this church. Use us. Use this community in huge ways. And I am excited. So yeah, I am tired of the pandemic. I am ready to kick it to the curb. But I am excited for the world that comes after, if that's weird. I don't know. I just wanted to share that. Um, for those of you that I haven't met in person yet, hi, I'm Josh. I'm the new guy. Um, I assure you, I am as weird as I look, I promise. Uh, <laughs> woo. Um, so uh, two weeks ago, we kicked off this sermon series we've been calling Lift My Eyes. Okay? And uh, we're, we're encouraging one another to lift our eyes from the distractions, the divisiveness, the conflicts in the world around us right now. To lift our eyes from all the muck and to give our attention and our focus to the one that matters most. All right. We've been getting this phrase, lift our eyes, lift my eyes, uh, that it actually comes from the opening lines of Psalm 121. And I have been challenging you for the last several weeks to spend some time in Psalm 121 over these last three weeks uh, because it really does speak to the unprecedented uncertainty. I'm so sick of those phrases. <laughs> but it, it really speaks to how a lot of us feel in this day and age. So I'm going to ask here, who here has spent some time in the last three weeks not in church in Psalm 121? Awesome. I see a couple hands. Awesome. It's not over yet. You have a week left. This is the last sermon, but we've got a new sermon series we're kicking off next week. Spend some time reading, listening to, let Psalm 121 etch itself into your heart. Um, especially during the season, because it really does speak to this. In fact, we're going to read it out loud here. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains. 
Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. Now we talked about this two weeks ago where when, Jesus, when, when God says he will keep us from harm, he doesn't mean he'll keep us from stress. He doesn't mean he'll keep us from trials or he'll keep us from, from battles ahead. He says he'll keep us from harm, the things that truly matter because God has saved us. There ain't nothing in this world that can hurt us when you're with Jesus. Because at the end of the day, even if the worst thing happens, we are with Jesus. So, he will keep us from all harm. He will watch over our life. Verse 8, the Lord will watch over your coming and going now and forevermore. Two weeks ago, we kicked this off by talking about lifting our eyes away from the muck and towards Jesus himself. Because Jesus, as God, as God on earth, adopted us as children of God. That Jesus, through his death, through his sacrifice, through his actions, we can then adopt, we can have this identity as being children of God, being forgiven by unfathomable grace. And we talked about that in terms of not letting the other labels and the other distinctions rest in our soul, that to not settle for any other identity other than being a child of God. So that was two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about God's word and how in this world of distractions and competing truths, we have this amazing time-tested window into the character of God that is all about his love for us and all about his promise for us that stands the test of time. We talked about scripture and how we have this awesome tool. This week, we're going to talk about what it means to be the church and how we as the people of God are actually the agents of God's unifying work here on earth. We're going to look at, at what it actually looks like to lift our eyes from the muck, from the distractions, towards the mission that God has placed on each and every one of us as Jesus followers and the mission that we have when we come together. In other words, what is the church supposed to be? See, for a lot of us, we've been a part of church so long that we've got caught up into routines, and so we just kind of have assumptions of what the church is supposed to be, right? We understand church is that one hour a week. You come here, you sit in a chair, some weird loud guy yells at you for a while, and then you go home. Sing some songs, maybe you get some pizza. Right? Or the church does potlucks, or the church does, I don't know, we have this idea, this routine that we've been built into. 2,000 years of human tradition has caught us into these, these routines that we just kind of, it's how we've always done it. And if you've always done it the way you've always done it, then that means you never question why you do it, so you just keep doing it. And before long, it's the routines that become the worship. And I'm not saying those routines are bad. Actually, most of those routines are awesome. But it's important for us as the people of God right now, especially to take a step back 
take a step back. Let's look at the church through new eyes. Let's look at the church as Jesus tells us about the church. Let's look at the church as scripture talks about the church. And let's see what the church is supposed to be. Now, a few weeks ago, um, I was here, uh, actually two months ago now, and I talked to you a little bit about um, uh, the difference between two words, between this word ecclesia, which is what the New Testament usually uses to refer to what we call as the church, and this German word kirsch, or kirsch, which we've translated as church. I'm not going to get into it, I'm not going to rehash an entire sermon, but long story short, church, or kirch, this German word, literally is talking about a building. It's talking about stationary. It's talking about sedentary. All right? Stone. It's a building. It's a place. Ecclesia, on the other hand, is about movement. Ecclesia in Greek literally means the called out ones. It's also called the assembly or the movement. Often in New Testament, Paul will refer to the body of uh, uh, Christians as the way. And there's always these, these phrases that talk about movement. The ecclesia, which is what we base the modern church off of, is not a place. It's not a time. It's not a building. It's a movement. It's an assembly. It's a community. We are the called out ones moving forward with a mission. It's important to have those distinctions, okay? Because if we think of church as a place, as a thing, then we have to think about church as being sedentary, unchanging, and stone. While God, cha- God never changes, the mission of the church is always evolving, always pushing forward, and it will until everybody bows before the name of Jesus. Just the way that it goes. We're constantly building bridges to new cultures. So we can't think of it as a stationary, the stationary unchanging thing. We have to think of it as this ecclesia, this movement, this assembly, the way. So what does the ecclesia look like? Well, believe it or not, in order to talk about the church in Scripture, we first need to talk about God's presence and the temple in Jerusalem. I know, it's weird. Two weird technical things. But if we're going to fully understand our identity as the church, we need to talk about what God's presence means, what it is, and the significance it has with the temple in Jerusalem. You see, God's presence, in Hebrew, we refer to that as Shekinah. And what Shekinah is, is the glory of the presence of God. It's this weird word, again, that doesn't translate. Awe-inducing, mind-bending glory that is God's presence here on earth. God's Shekinah, God's presence. Now, we like to think that God in his infinite power is way above creation, sitting on a throne far away in heaven, looking down on his kingdom from afar. And while that's true in a sense, God has also been very present on earth since creation. And if you read through the Old Testament, the Old Testament is very specific on the fact that God has always been present. His Shekinah, his presence, has always been here on earth since the beginning of time. You see, in the beginning, he was present in the garden. We have images of him walking in the garden and talking audibly to Adam and Eve. Later, he was present in the burning bush, 
talking to Moses, audible voice talking in a tangible object. When the Hebrews escaped Egypt in a column of fire that led them through the wilderness, and then by night he was present within the tabernacle, the, the place that the Hebrews built for the Shekinah, for God's holy presence to rest. And then eventually when the, te- when the temple was constructed in Jerusalem, the innermost sanctum, the innermost section of the temple was called the Holy of Holies. It's the, the room in a room in a room in a room. Nobody can go in there because the Holy of Holies is the space that God's Shekinah, God's holy mind-bending presence, that's where it rested. And then when Jesus came, then we have God Fully, fully God, fully human in the form of Jesus Christ walking on earth. So then God's presence is walking among his people. And then when Jesus ascends to heaven, we have the Holy Spirit that descends onto the people of God. Right, let's just pause there for a second. As non-denominational Christians, as restoration Christians, we tend to uh, be really good so here's some church terms for you. Really good binatarians, but not so good on the Trinitarian. Um, Trinitarianism, Trinitarian theology is this idea of, three, of God and three persons. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, one God, three persons. We're usually really good about talking about God as the Father, the Creator, the King over everything. We're good about talking about Jesus because uh, Jesus was in our... In our world, he walked among us and died for our sins. But we tend to uh, kind of clam up when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. We tend to see the Holy Spirit as like God's pet bird on all the uh, stained glass windows, right? It's the little dove in the corner. Or the little butterflies you get when you're singing a good song. That's the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Well, folks... The Holy Spirit, I don't want to get into a whole, I could, I could sit here and talk to you for hours about the Holy Spirit. I love studying the Holy Spirit. But one of the important things you have to understand is the Holy Spirit is as much God as Jesus and the Father because it's a Trinitarian understanding. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in his people, this is God. This isn't just butterflies in your stomach. This isn't just a warm feeling you get when you sing a good song. And it certainly isn't just God's pet bird. All right? Spirit is the presence of God. And we see in Acts that when Jesus ascends, after Jesus leaves in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on his people. So the presence of God has always been present on earth. And now he's present in his people. Now, that means we have to kind of get through this a little bit because once you start to see that, once you start to understand that God's presence is here on earth in us, in the Jesus community, in the followers of Jesus, in the people of God, we then become where God dwells. Because the Holy Spirit resting in us becomes the the presence of God, God's Shekinah here on earth Rather than in a building of stone, in a temple, it's in us, the community of God. We are the temple. We are the temple. Now, it's important to understand this, because when you start to realize that we are the temple, when you start to read the New Testament, you start to see them talking about how we, as the followers of Jesus, 
how we are this new temple. We talk about building the new temple. We talk about the glory of the temple, the presence of God within the temple. And you start to realize, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about us. Ephesians 2, verse 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Remember, two weeks ago, we're no longer defined by all the tribes and all the divisions among us. We're defined by one identity, one identity alone, and that is that we are children of God. And that's what unifies us. Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the people who are sent out to speak the word of God. With Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, the piece that everything rests on. Verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are the temple. We are the dwelling place of God. The church is meant to be a piece of heaven, a piece of heaven itself, the kingdom of God in our world, tangible for us to see. So we, as believers in Jesus, we as followers of Jesus, members of the Jesus community, being changed by grace, each having carried the Holy Spirit within us, when we are together, we are the temple. We are the place that God dwells in us. There is nothing routine about that. This means that we, as the body of Christ, wherever we are, Jesus is. That's what he means by saying wherever two or more are gathered, I, uh, that's where I am. This is what all that means. We, as the body of Christ, are agents of God. We not only do the work of the Father, we carry the Shekinah, the presence, the mind-bending reality of who God is. We carry that identity within each and every one of us. And together, as the Jesus community formed around that identity, we become, we become a piece of heaven breaking through into our world. That is what the church is. Right? It's the presence of God in, on earth in you. It's not an hour on Sunday morning. Right? It's an identity. It's a mission. So, the early Christians absolutely understood this. They absolutely understood this. Jesus taught about the kingdom of God and the new temple being built. We, we understood this in the early church. But 2,000 years of history brought a whole bunch of different things. On one hand, it brought us 2,000 years of scholars and theologians and amazing thinkers that are way, way smarter than me that come up with some awesome ideas and awesome ways to read scripture. And that's, that's great. But 2,000 years of routine, 2,000 years of doing things like we've always done them. And sooner or later, we start to focus on the routines instead of the purpose behind them. 
I'm not saying those routines are bad. Actually, a lot of those routines are great. But the church is not about ritual. The church is not about routines. The church is not about doing things the same way all the time. The church, by definition, is an expression of the presence of God on earth and the mind-bending, awe-inducing Shekinah of God breaking through into reality. You are more than just a follower. You are a vessel. You're an agent of change to bring about healing and restoration. God is working through you to love this world, to shine a light brighter than anything. The church is not a place. The church is a mission. So how did early Christians see this? What, what did it actually look like on a day-to-day basis? Well, we can go to Acts 2. We actually get a snapshot in Acts 2. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Acts chapter 2. And you're going to go to the bottom of the chapter. We're going all the way down to verse 42. And you're actually going to get this little, this little snapshot of what the day-to-day life of an early Christian, just after Jesus ascended, just when everything is exploding, just when they're realizing what the Holy Spirit is, just when they're realizing what their mission is, you get a snapshot of what the first church looked like on a day-to-day basis, all right? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. All right, verse 43. Everyone was awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet. Real quick, when did they meet? Every day. They didn't, it doesn't say, and Sunday at 10.30 they met. No, every day <laughs> they met. Together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47, praising and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily from those who were being saved. So based on this, there are some kind of main expressions from the church you can kind of pick through here. They're, they're devoted. They're devoted literally means to be fully submitted to, fully in. No one's half measure. They're like, yes, let's go. All right. They're devoted to what? They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they're devoted to the teaching of Jesus through his followers. They're devoted to learning, having a posture of learning and studying scripture. They're devoted to fellowship and sharing life. Now, real quick, fellowship, sorry, means a heck of a lot more than just coffee and donuts. All right, we like to use the word fellowship as like, oh, I'm having coffee, we're fellowshipping. Like, well, yeah, but... Fellowship comes from the word koinonia. Koinonia in Greek is literally the word that means to share life with someone. All right? To have koinonia, to share life with someone, it's way more than simply just coffee and donuts. It's being vulnerable, walking with people, crying with them, laughing with them, sharing life, essentially becoming a family. All right? That's that idea of koinonia, of fellowship, becoming a family, one body. They were devoted to prayer, talking and listening to God. They were filled with awe. 
In our world, we like to explain everything to the point where there's no awe. That's just an observation. You know what? You're allowed to have awe. You're allowed to look at God and go, holy cow! You're allowed to look at a sunset and go, you didn't have to do that. I look at a map of my circulatory system and it blows my mind. I'm like, holy cow! Have awe. This is interesting. They were radically generous. Radically generous. They sold their possessions and gave to those in need. And by the way, this is one of those historical facts that's also seconded by the text at the time. The, the Christians in Rome were known, being gener- known for their generosity to the point of being made fun of because of their generosity. Right? They were made fun of in non-Christian texts a lot, being just so radically generous that they were reckless. Reckless love, right? They were radically generous. They were known for sacrificing anything on behalf of someone who needs it. Radically generous. They lived their life together, not just an hour a week. They met in homes. They celebrated with sincere hearts. So they didn't just show up with a plastic smile, put on their plastic mask, their their nice Sunday best, and said, yep, everything's good. No, sincere hearts. They came together in authentic joy. That's what it means by living life together, by koinonia. You share the bad and the good because you're a family. You walk together. And then they worshiped and celebrated God and each other. They celebrated. They partied. We have a God that's amazing. There's totally a reason to celebrate. I don't care if there's a pandemic. I don't care if I have to wear a stupid mask and have Zoom meetings. Like, guys, God made us. God saved us. There is so much to celebrate. We might have to celebrate at home, but we can still celebrate. We can be goofy. We can have fun. You can summarize all of this into four main expressions of the church. Okay, so if you're taking notes, this is, this, this is the time to write down these four. All right, the first is this idea of fellowship, koinonia, shared life. Okay, they shared their life with one another. This is huge, all right? This isn't just sitting in the same pew or the same row. This is not just coffee and donuts. It's like checking in with your brother and sisters. Hey, how you doing? How's your family? How's your mom? I heard she was sick. Can I pray for you? Hey, I heard your son did great on that, uh, on that game last night. Dude, that's awesome. Live life together. All right, number two, they were devoted to sound teaching and prayer. Or put another way, they had a humble attitude and listened. What does it mean to be devoted to teaching and to prayer? What that means is that they're constantly seeking God. They're reading their scripture. They're worshiping together. They're discussing what this means, chewing on the reality of theology. They're praying. They're listening. They're in a constant state of listening to what God is saying about their life. Often in today's world, we get this kind of like high and mighty attitude. We like to tell God what he's allowed to say to us. We like to dictate what we believe. Oh, I, I, I don't believe that. I believe this. Like, oh, I, I disagree with God on this part. Hey, look, you're totally allowed to disagree with God. I disagree with God on quite a few things, but here's the thing about disagreeing with God. You're wrong. That's <laughs> just the way that it works. <laughs> right? So having the posture 
to sit and go, God, show me who I am. Show me what I need to do. What will do you have for me? What mission do you have for me? That constant posture of listening and learning from him, about him, and what that means in your life, that posture of listening and learning. So shared life and fellowship, devoted to sound teaching and prayer. Number three, radical generosity. Radical generosity. Folks, love at its core is sacrifice. It's sacrificing on behalf of the other without any expectation of return, okay? We're called to love everyone. That means we have to sacrifice for everyone. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying that as Christians, we are called to be radically generous. What I'm not saying is I'm not, this isn't a veiled attempt to try and get you to give more money to the church, all right? That's not what I'm trying to say. Generosity means more than your finances. It does mean your finances, but it also means your time and your energy, your emotional availability, your accessibility. Being radically generous and having this posture of radical generosity means that not only are you actively loving, loving your neighbors and actively pursuing other people, it means that you are also accessible to your neighbors and accessible to people who need you. If there's a need that you can address, you address it. Radical generosity means that as a culture, as a community, we take responsibility for the world where our lives intersect with it. If there's a need that crosses our path, it's not just, well, that sucks. <laughs> no, it's, how do I fix it? What do I need to do? How do I lift that person up? How do I help them? How do I love them? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes that means getting out, a page, getting out your, your pocketbook. But often, that means making yourself available. I have found that radical generosity often happens more through my grill and my smoker than it does through my checkbook. I mean, in all honesty, uh, me and my neighbor, I didn't have this in my notes, but I can share this story. My neighbor and I, uh, my neighbor is awesome. Um, uh, back in Council Bluffs. She's awesome, uh, her and her husband. Um, they, uh, she came to Christ a couple years ago. I had the pleasure of baptizing her myself, actually, about uh, two years ago, which was awesome. Um, but she's an amazing baker, just an amazing baker, and runs this baking, minute, baking uh, business out of her house. Uh, what that means is that our family often gets to taste test, like, cupcakes and cookies and, and pies. and Oh, it's awesome. We just get a little knock on the door on Saturday night, and we know that her daughter Bella is there with a tray of, of cake. <laughs> which I don't need, but I don't mind it either. <laughs> um, and I love to barbecue. And so kind of as the, the way that we kind of do that is, you know, if, I, if I'm cooking uh, a turkey, like I'm smoking a couple turkeys this week, or I'm cooking some, uh, some pulled pork or something, we always just, we're going to bring it over to Jesse and Andy. We're going to give them some, some barbecue because we're a community and we share life. And, and we want to love. Often I find relationships happen more through my, my barbecue <laughs> than it does through my checkbook. All right? Sometimes radical generosity means firing up the Weber. All right? That's the way that that works. And then number four, I talked so long off. Uh, off uh, topic that my, my screen went dark. <laughs> um, and then number four, celebrate God. 
Or in other words, worship. We have a reason to celebrate. We can sing, we can dance, we can party, we can, we can celebrate who God is. We can celebrate what God has done in our lives. I mean, honestly, we can celebrate the fact that we have a circulatory system. I, I don't know. There is reason to celebrate, and we can't lose sight of that. Church is not about being somber and quiet all the time. Sometimes, sometimes, we party. All right, we celebrate. In fact, that's what this is. Sunday morning, Sunday morning, this is one of those four things. You know, the, the first thing was, was fellowship. Then number two was devote yourselves to teaching and listening. Number three was generosity. And number four was celebrate and worship. This is number four. I mean, if, if I'm not putting you to sleep and stuff, then that, you might learn some stuff too. But really, this is all about celebrating who God is and what he's done with us. This is number four. What that means, though, is that for the first three things, you have a responsibility to do that. That means when you leave from here, you have to find a way to pursue fellowship, to share your life with one another. You have to find a way to pursue a posture of humility and learning and seek after God. We have to be a radically generous people, all right, with our time, with our love, with our emotional availability, with our resources, with our energy, with our actions, with our grills. And then, yeah, we're going to get together and we're going to celebrate who God is. We'll do that on Sunday morning. Who knows? If more stuff comes down and we need to do it over Zoom, whatever, I'll bite the bullet and we'll do it over Zoom. I really hope that doesn't happen. But we will celebrate. We will always celebrate. But the other three aspects of who the church is, we can't lose sight of that mission. Because that is who we are. We are not just meeting once a week as like a support group for the saved. We're not all just waiting to die so we can go to heaven. That's not what this is. We have a mission, and our mission is to change the world. That's not hyperbole. That's not exaggeration. We literally have a mission to change the world, and we can do it because we have the presence of God in us. Wherever we go, we carry God. And who stands against God? Nobody. <laughs> Folks, as a member of the Jesus community, you have a responsibility. You do. You are a priest. That's why we call it the priesthood of all believers. Your job is to reflect this mind-bending presence of God, this grace to the rest of the world. It's my job as your pastor to equip you to do that. But it's your job to talk with your neighbors, to talk with your coworkers. Folks, I'm a Christian today because of a relationship, because of friends, all right? I didn't become a Christian because some weird guy on a stage shouted at me for half an hour, all right? I became a Christian in my teenage years because I had a friend who cared enough about me to invite me relentlessly to a cheesy Bible study. <laughs> 
At least I thought it was cheesy. I got there, and it was actually pretty cool. It was full of a whole bunch of freaks and geeks like me with blue hair and piercings, and we read the Bible, and that became my first church, <laughs> believe it or not. All right? My family all became Christians around that same time, again, through relationships, through a neighbor down the street who invited them to church, through a coworker who started talking about their relationship with Jesus, through friends. I'd like to say that I witnessed to my parents after I became a Christian, and I, maybe I did, but that's not really the reason that they're Christians today. They're Christians today because of their friendships. Relationship matters. Our presence in the world matters. We are the temple of God. We are the people of God. We are the Jesus community. And with us, we carry the Shekinah, the mind-bending presence of God. That's our mission. Don't lose sight of that mission because of all the distractions around us. You have a thousand voices in every direction asking you to pick a side about politics, about pandemic, masks, no masks, um, whether or not you like pineapple on pizza. Whatever it is, you have all these people arguing and t causing you to weigh in. Guys, that's Satan. Because every ounce of energy you give towards these lesser identities and these lesser missions is something that you're not giving to the mission of God, and that is to love and change the world. Don't let it distract you. Lift your eyes from the, dis from the divisiveness, lift your eyes from the distraction, and let's focus on the identity that we've been given as children of God and the collective power we now have as the temple of God to be able to move forward in this world to bring about the kingdom of God. That's our mission. Don't lose sight of that. It's a lot of work. It's the biggest job we've ever done. <laughs> but we have a God who can do it, right? All right, let's pray. God, you are good. You are so big. You love us so completely. You came into our world. You died our death. You paid our price so that we could be called your child. So we could be called your child. And that identity overcomes every other identity we may carry. God, Give us the ability to focus on your mission, on your identity, and move forward with single-minded focus. Wherever you are and you're listening to me, whether you're here worshiping with us, whether you're online, or whether you're watching this video six months from now, doesn't matter, God. Right now, I just pray that you bless that person. You bless that person with righteous fire, with this righteous identity of show them that they're invited to be a child of God. And then as a child of God, they could belong to a community that is defined by uh, uh, amazing fellowship and sharing our life with one another, defined by a relentless pursuit of who you are, defined by radical generosity and loving the world around us, and we even get to party and celebrate who you are. God, you are good. The work is huge. We can't do it without you, but we know that nothing can stand against you. So God, we step out of this space today empowered, understanding that we are your temple, we are your people. And where we go, you go. 
And so we step out of this space with single-minded focus to work on the mission ahead of us to change this world. God, you are good. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.